0: Today, as we continue our sermon series, and we're ending uh, next week, we're going to talk about something that is so simple and yet not simplistic, if I can put it that way. We're talking about spiritual intimacy, and we've defined intimacy this way. Intimacy is to be fully known and to be fully accepted without fear of rejection. Intimacy is to be fully known and be fully accepted without fear of rejection. And here's a big principle, overarching principle, that we're going to talk about today. Busyness destroys intimacy. Anybody disagree? Anybody disagree? Should we just move on and unpack a little bit? We all sit there going, I know, Jack, you know, I'm not taking any notes right now. Busyness destroys, what am I doing? I already know this. But let's just unpack it a little bit. Busyness destroys intimacy. Why does busyness in relationships with people in our lives destroy intimacy? You could speak for yourself from experience. One, in order to have intimacy with people that we love, we care about, one, they need to feel like they're a priority. Okay? They need to feel like they are a priority in their lives. If they don't feel like they are a priority, that they're important, that their time is important, that they, who they are is important, it really infects intimacy. It's amazing how many times I'll be sitting in a married counseling session, and one of the things that they're talking about is that each one of them will say, I don't feel like a priority to him. And the other person is like, why? Of course you are. And then I'll say to the one that doesn't feel like she's a priority, he's a priority, i go. Did you ever ask that other person this question? Honey, do you feel like you're a priority in my life? And I look at said, no. Like, how would you know if they're priority? Because I just, no, you don't know. If you don't feel like they're a priority and you're aware of that, it's going to affect them. Secondly, there needs to be unhurried, unrushed time spent together. I can't, nobody, is taking notes. Next, Peter, we all know this. In order for the intimate relationship with somebody, you need to spend unhurried, unrushed time. I actually, I didn't share this this morning. Can I just tell you guys something? So this is how much I struggle with this, okay? The, the, the night that I proposed to my wife, all right, I proposed, I can't believe I'm talking about this. I, I, the night I proposed to my wife, uh, it was a beautiful, it was a church, I, I wrote a song for her, uh, sang song for her. And Carlton, yes, I played the piano. It may have been like, ding, 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 but it was still piano, you know what I mean? I played it. And then afterwards, I did a huge dinner at this nice restaurant. What I didn't know was that this restaurant had like 10 televisions all over. And this was game six of the finals between the Bulls and the Utah. No, actually, it was, who was it? Was it Port- Portland? No, it was Utah Jazz. I was sitting there eating dinner. Of course, of course, the TV had to be, like, right there in front of me, you know, behind Jenny. You know where I'm going with this? So the night that I proposed to my wife, right, that I proposed, I mean, as we're going home, she's giving me, like, and I deserved it. I deserved it. Because the whole night, I just couldn't pay attention to her. I'm sitting there. What would you What you say? Yeah! What what was that again? It was that whole thing. (laughs) I know. Pathetic, right? uh, That's what I know. I'm like, this woman is for me because she put up with that. Unhurried, unrushed. Pay attention. Time together. Third, um, there needs to be communication that goes both ways. We're not just talking but what we're listening. Now, here's something that we just know maybe in the back of our minds. Why would it be any different with God? When it comes to intimacy with God, why would it be any different? What do I mean? Is God a priority in your life? On a list of things that you do on a daily basis, is God a priority in your life? Is there a sense in which Importance, the value, priority of that time with God. overrides all the things. Secondly, is there unhurried, unrushed time together? Is there unhurried, unrushed time together? Where we talked a little bit about last week, we want to talk about today, where there is guarded sacred time in which you're not just talking, but you are with the scriptures open. You are listening to the voice of the Heavenly Father. And third, is there good communication? The communication, again, is not just us talking all the time, but where we're actively, intentionally listening to God. The thing is, in human relationships, when there isn't these things, the relationship begins to get really shallow and superficial. And amazingly, the same thing happens in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The relationship begins to get really shallow and superficial, and there isn't a sense of depth. There isn't a sense of uh, 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 an intimacy with God where we are fully known and fully accepted. Now, here's the thing. You and I all know that we're busy, but let me ask you something. Why are you so busy? What causes it? What's underneath that? I mean, that's partly what we're going to talk about today because I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the busiest generation slash culture society ever. We are bombarded with things to do. And yet, as we're going to see today, the difference between guarding a time to make it priority to be with Jesus versus being swept along with a million things to do is the difference between greatness and mediocrity. The amazing thing is if I were to ask you today, how many of you guys want to be great? And y'all are like, well, I'm in Chicago, I'm in law school, medical school, I'm business school, doing all this. No, nobody here going, I, don't, I just want to be mediocre. Nobody says they want to be mediocre, but here's the thing. You ready? We're talking about a woman who Jesus said 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years from now, everybody's going to be talking about her. Her name was Mary. And the amazing thing is, she didn't do anything spectacular. Of what we're gonna see. She didn't do anything phenomenal. You know what she did? She prioritized. Placed first. Jesus. Time with him. Two thousand years later, we're talking about. You guys maybe know this story. I said this morning, you may know it, but I don't think you really do. I thought I knew it until I started digging in and I realized I don't really know this story. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. What we're going to do is we're going to read the whole uh, story together and then I'm going to go verse by verse and break it down. I'm going to read the whole thing and then verse by verse. Luke 10, 38. Now as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This story is very common. It's very mundane. What do I mean? Luke has the story of Lazarus being risen from the dead by Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, the 3,000, all these spectacular miracles that fill Luke's story. And then in the middle of it, we've got a story about two women cooking dinner House, hospitality, guest. Don't miss this. Luke says, that's the point. What do you mean, you say? It's not in, this is Luke's point, the seismic, catastrophic, huge, big, four-fight events of our lives that shape you to be the person that you are. Those events just reveal who you've become. Luke is saying, it's the everyday, mundane, day-to-day things, day-to-day chores, and the decisions that you and I make in the midst of them determine who we become. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Are Are you hearing me? Luke's point is, it's not in the big, you and I think of, it's the big events, it's the big, huge, four, five, life-changing things that happen in our lives that change us and transform us. Luke's point is, that just simply reveals who we really are, who we're becoming, who we're changing. The person that we are becoming are the decisions that we make tomorrow morning when you wake up and you're faced with the million things that come at you. I got to get up, I got to eat, I got to exercise, I got to go to work, I got to do this, I got to do that. Those things. The decisions that you and I make determine who we become. Let me ask you something. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you got a million things that are going to be coming at you. million things that are coming at you. Martha, what is she doing? She swept along. She swept along by them. There's no anchor, no center. She swept along from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. Mary, she says, the current is going that way, but my feet are dug in. I am standing, and the current made me take me that way, but I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to do what I know I need to do. What's that? I'm going to sit at his feet. I'm going to listen to his voice, and I'm going to spend this focused time with him. What does your life look like? What does my life look like? And Jesus says, as a result of 2,000 years from now, we're going to be talking. And we are, here we are, 2013, March 10th. We're talking about Mary. Why? What does she do? What does she do? Think about it. In the Gospels, what does Mary do? That 2,000 years later, we're talking. She sat at his feet. And with a million things coming at her, she makes the decision to go This is my priority. This is my priority. Are you being swept along? Be honest. Are you being swept along by a million things that are coming at you? Or are you anchored? Are you grounded? Are you centered? Let's look at this verse by verse as we dig into what Luke is saying. Verse 38, now as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed them into, what does it say? Here verse, Bible. It says, it says, welcome them into what? Her house. You ever notice it's her house? Here's the thing, she has a brother, Lazarus. This is a male dominant sort of paternalistic society. It's not, enter, Lazarus, it's Mary's house, which means scholars think she probably took care of the finances and did the day-to-day workings of the house. It's not Mary's house either. Here's the reason why. I'm going to take the pause for two minutes and go, let's give some props to Martha's, okay? Let's give some props to Martha. Okay, let's give some props to Martha. Martha is the reason why houses are cleaned, houses are kept in order. There's food in the pantry. There's food in the refrigerator. Martha's are the reason why carpool's running, you know what I mean? Martha's is the reason why the children are fed. Martha's also the reason why businesses run. Martha's the type of person that goes, you're not going to do your job, I'm going to do your job for you. Martha's type of person that says, that's not in my job description. That's not, shit, what is that? That's not in my job description. Martha's the reason why people uh, come early and leave late. Martha's make sure the businesses are run. Right. Martha's the reason why churches are okay. I'm thankful for the Marthas in our church. Martha's the reason why budgets are balanced. Martha's are the reason why bi- babies are balanced in the nursery. Martha's are the reasons why the sanctuary is clean. Y'all notice? You come in, sanctuary is clean. Martha's are the reasons why we have picnics and barbecues and all of those things. Martha's. But in the midst of all that, there's one fundamental thing. Fundamental thing that Marcia wrestles with. And that's what we're going to look into. Look at her sister Mary, though. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. To sit at the Lord's feet was a technical term. Did you know that? To sit at the Lord's feet was a technical term that described students with the rabbi. This is a first century term, students with the rabbi. So this is someone's feet, but it's a technical term that describes students who sat with the rabbi listening to them. Here's the thing. It's in the culture, women never sat at the feet of a rabbi. That was unheard of, unheard of. So here's what's going on. All the men are going, hey, hey, send Mary back into the kitchen. And Jesus is going, no, no. You all go into the kitchen. Mary's exactly where she needs to be. Right, this morning I said this, and uh, she said, please, Pastor Peter, don't call me. I'm going to call her out. Lauren Robinson was sitting right over there, she goes, uh-huh, and everybody was like, where did that come from? All the men. Jesus, Jesus in the book of Luke elevates women like no other gospel writers. When you read, see, there you go, in the gospel writers. Sisters, are you with me? Bethany, are you with me? In the book of Luke, Jesus is constantly elevating, and this is so precious to me, constantly elevating the role of women, the ministry of women, the value of women. And in the same year, Jesus the same to the disciples and other people who are complaining, they go, hey, Mary's exactly where she belongs. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Now, this beautiful picture of Mary sitting at the, the feet of Jesus, sitting at the rabbi, Luke is going, here's what discipleship looks like. Here's what a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus looks like. And let's get what Mary's doing. It's very powerful. It says, she sat at the Lord's feet, and it says, she listened to his teaching. There's so much packed in here, okay? So much packed in here. The word listen literally describes this intentive, constant, deliberate listening. In other words, this isn't the posture of Mary. She's sitting there going, "Uh, oh, mind wandering, Uh, oh, mind wandering. Hearing Martha going, come and help me in the kitchen. Oh, okay, well, hold that. We're talking about a woman who literally blocked off everything around her, all the chaos, and she is deliberately, attentively, literally not listening to anything else, but sitting there hearing the words of Jesus. And she's so committed to it. As we're going to see, she's getting yelled at by people around her. Good communication that's a part of intimacy requires not just that we talk, but that we listen. In order for us to listen, there needs to be constant, attentive silence before God. I just, this may seem corny. I just, the words listen and silent have the same letters. The same letters. To listen, to truly listen. One person's got to have their mouth shut. And go speak, Lord. I said this a couple of weeks for me. Times that I've struggled and times that I've gotten myself into trouble. Honestly, it wasn't that I didn't talk enough. I talk a lot, saying to God. I know, Lord, I don't need to. The times in which I made bad decisions, bad decisions, are times in which, honestly, guys, I just, as I look back, I won't even listen. What was that? Is he talking to God? Not listening. Discipleship requires focused time with Jesus. Discipleship requires focused time with Jesus. One of the components of discipleship. You need to make, set aside focused time to listen to God's word. You know, we didn't cover this verse last week because we just didn't have time. Psalm 190, 30. Listen to what it says. It says, unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The psalmist is saying, it's the unfolding of your word that gives light. In other words, he's saying, it takes time for the word to unfold. Don't get it. You don't get it in five minutes. You don't get it in ten minutes to get the light, to get the insight. You need time for it to unfold, to think, to meditate, to marinate. When I was in college, I think it was my sophomore year, a group in our fellowship went away for a retreat with a navigator staff worker. Listen to this. And we're at this reach in navigator staff who could give us one verse, right? And he said this. He goes, I want everybody to go away. I want you to spend 30 minutes unpacking the verse. Just listen, study, read, listen, study, read. 30 minutes. And then he said this. He goes, most of y'all, in 10 minutes, you're going to be like, I got all I need. I got all I need. That's pretty plain. That's pretty plain. And I think actually the verse was Proverbs 35 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your so, Right? So he called everybody back 30 minutes later. And then he asked a question. He goes, how many of you got something with God to just, just resonate Everybody raise your hand. And then he said this. How many of you got that in the first five minutes? Raise your hand. Nobody raise your hand. How many of y'all got that in the first 10 minutes? No hands raised. How many of y'all got that in the first 15? Nobody raised your hand. How many of y'all got that inside in the first 30, 20 minutes? One, two people. How many of y'all got that in the 25? Three, four, five. And then he said. How many of y'all? It took literally 30 minutes for it to unpack and unfold. Forgot. Everybody raise their hand. The word of God unfolds, and if you are going, Oswald Chambers, three five minutes, there's devotion. I'm done, out of here. If you're going, if your posture is one of open, God says, sit your. You know what? Down. Take time, because the way His Word works, it unfolds. How many of you just know this? You experience Anybody? Raise your hand. It unfolds. Now, here's the incredible thing. You ready? Do you know what Mary gained as a result of listening? This is incredible to me. John 12, John 12, John 12. This is the same Mary that breaks the alabaster jar of perfume, pours it at the feet of Jesus, and washes his feet with their hair. And Jesus does an incredible thing. Jesus in John 12, she is preparing me for burial. And all the disciples who have been with him for three years are like, what? What are you talking about? He's going to, that what? Jesus says, she is preparing for burial. Nobody in the room, nobody on earth at that point knows that Jesus, within a matter of days, is going to die. The only person in the entire room that is aware of what lies ahead is Mary. Why? She listened. She listened. And Jesus says in Mark 14, See what she did? Y'all going to be talking about it March 10, 2013. Unfolding of focused time to listen. Focused time. Secondly, discipleship is also not just focused time, but it's submissive time. What do I mean? Let's get back to Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. In the Bible, to sit at someone's feet meant something extremely interesting. It was a formal word. It literally meant to be under someone's authority. For example, in the book of Acts, it says what? That the people sold the land that they owned, and they took the money, and they put it at the apostles' what? Feet. What did it mean? It basically meant that the apostles had the authority to distribute and use the money as they wanted. To be under someone's authority, uh, to be a citizen was, a feat, was to be under their authority. Mary, listen carefully, then just spent focus time listening to the word of God let it unfold. She also submitted to its authority. I got to be honest with you guys. Share something. Last Sunday, I don't know if it was just a service or what, but 11 o'clock service, I went home and I was just like, Jenny, that was the hardest sermon I had to preach. And she's like, What happened? I said, This. I said, because she was here at 9 o'clock. I said, remember that part in the service where I talked about how Jesus saw all of Scripture as being authoritative for all time and all places at all? And I said to, I said to my wife, I said, man, Jenny, I'll, I looked out on, on congregation. When I said that, it's like but people were like, are you serious? I said, I'm reminded of the culture that we live in. What do I mean? And this is really heavy for me. I'm just being honest with you. Really heavy for me, right? Why is Mary become the great person that she is. Let me put it this way. She took her first century filter off to what Jesus said. What was first century filter? Well, let me put it in that context. In that context, first century filter said this, the Messiah is going to come and usher in the kingdom, but he's going to do it through victory and through power and through strength. All the first century disciples had that filter. Jesus comes and goes, hey, I'm the Messiah. I've come to usher in the kingdom of God. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it through death, sacrifice, and defeat. And all the first century disciples were like, what the heck are you talking about? Maybe this? Mary takes her first century filter off and she says literally, she goes, there are some things you say that I don't understand, but you're Jesus, I'm going to accept them. There are certain things that you say that I don't understand and I just don't even like, but I'm going to try and understand them. Truth be told, there's some of us in here, culture looks at the words of Jesus through a 21st century filter. There are people in this room, and I need to lovingly and firmly speak to you, okay, as I'm speaking to a large congregation. We go like this. There are certain things in the Bible that I like, and by the way, you know what we do? We emphasize those parts. Because it aligns with my life, my lifestyle, and frankly, ministry that I'm passionate about. And we minimize the things that either contradict our lives or challenge our lives. And what we do is we go, I like certain parts, Jesus, of the Bible. I like certain things that you say, but there are certain things that you see that that I don't like. So I'm just not going to deal with it. Or even worse yet, we go this. We go, I'm not going to allow you to transform me into your image and what you say. I'm going to transform you, Jesus, into my image and what I say. And last week I said this I go then how do you have a personal relationship? How do you have a personal relationship with someone who you can't argue with? How do you have a personal relationship with God? If you go God there's certain things about you that I like and I'm going to keep those. There's certain things about you that I don't like so I'm not going to. There's certain things about you that I understand. I'm going to keep those certain things about that I don't understand. There's certain things that I agree with with my life that I accept. There's certain things that I don't. And by the way you guys listen to me listen to me. Some of you always think, yeah, but it's man's interpretation, isn't it? Listen to me, can I ask you something? Instead of going to that, how many of you actually sat by yourself with the Bible, nobody else's interpretation, and said, speak, Lord? My argument last week was this, unless you have certain things in the Bible that go, oh, I don't like that, you don't have a personal relationship. Unless you read the Bible and go, oh, I can't, are you serious? You don't have a personal, whoever have a personal relationship where they can't argue with you, they can't challenge you, they can't cross you. You know what's powerful for me? Jesus himself submitted to the authority of God's word. This is incredible. Jesus himself submitted to the God's word. When he's being tempted in the desert, Three times Jesus goes, it is written, it is written, it is written. He battles temptation with God's word. He's arguing with the Pharisees and he says, you neither, you don't neither the authority of God's word or the power of God. He's on the cross. He's on the cross and he's quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken him? When you stab someone's heart, the very thing that gives life pours out, which is blood. When Jesus was pressed, when Jesus is under enormous stress, when Jesus is under enormous pressure and trials, when he was pressed, you know what came out of his mouth? Scripture, 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 scripture. What comes out of you when you're pressed? What comes out of you when you're under enormous pressure? What comes out of you? Will you guard against the temptation to submit God's word under your authority and allow God, allow God to work in your heart? Amen? I know, this is a whole sermon itself. i got to preach an entire sermon on the role of scripture and God's word. Because, again, I know who I'm talking to. I know I'm already talking to the congregation. I'm talking to a group of people who is inundated with that culture that says, the Bible is mm, some bunch of guys wrote it. What authority? It makes all the difference. Mary sat, focused attention, listened to the authority of God's word, submitted herself to it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if it is I who say where God will be, I will always find there a false God. If you pick and choose what you like about the Bible, you do not have a real God. You have a God of your own making, and that God will never change you. That God will never transform you. Let's keep going. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And the word distracted literally means in the Greek to be pulled in a hundred different directions. How many of us feel like our lives are being pulled in a hundred different directions? Anybody? Can we be really honest? How many of the forces that pull us in different directions are external? And how many of the forces that pull us in other directions are internal? she went up to him and said, "Lord, do you not, can I just I, I love like trying to envision what it was like. I don't think Martha has the apron on and she's clean. She's coming into the room and going, "Jesus, don't you care?" I wonder help I see. Her hair is like all over here. There's flour. Her apron is like wet with sauce and stuff, and she's coming in, she's going, "Jesus!" you care oh my gosh the pods going don't you care i gotta have you ever cooked a meal for a lot of people you know what i'm talking about you're doing it by yourself envision this the stove is going the oven is going the cake is baking she's got to flip she's got to spin she's got to boil she's got to i mean all these things and the smoke is going in the kitchen she's coming and going ah watch what happens She went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. What is Martha's words? Lord, don't you care, listen, that she has left me to serve you alone. That she has left me to serve you alone. Question, what had Martha been doing? She had been what? Serving. Martha had been working. And Mary had been working. Mary had been preparing. So listen to this. Because I used to read this passage this way, right? Jesus walks in, and Mary's like, oh, Jesus. Where's he going? I'm going to sit at his feet. Mary, Martha's like, oh, Jesus, what you want? A seven-course meal? I know, exact seven-course meal. I'm going to be in the kitchen. Here's what's happening. Jesus walks in. Jesus walks in, and Martha gets the troops. Mary, she gets Lazarus. Martha gets everybody. They're all in the kitchen. They're working. They're preparing. That's the picture. Working, preparing. The difference is Mary knew when to stop. Martha didn't. Mary, Darius, are you listening? Knew when to leave. Martha. Didn't. Mary knew when to knock off from the serving, all the serving, to be with Jesus. Do not misunderstand this text. As I even preachers go, don't be like Mary. Be work, 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 work. Be like Mary. Pray, 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 pray. No you have two people serving working working hard serving in committees small groups doing ministry out there the difference is mary knows because she's anchored i'm going to stop i'm going to be with him but things are undone yet i know things will never get done are you hearing me are you listening Reason why Mary knew when to stop, leave early, knock off. It was a big secret, you guys. It's because she had one dominant, overarching, supreme priority of her life, which was FaceTime with Jesus, FaceTime with Jesus, FaceTime with Jesus, sitting at his feet, being in his presence, hearing his voice in the depths of her heart. That is what Mary's after first. Mary learned something that you and I struggle with, which is when you got a million things coming at you, you will not prioritize Jesus by saying no to that. uh, No, no, no. You just can't say no to a million things that come at you. You have to find that one ultimate priority, one ultimate desire, one overriding, supreme, beautiful thing in your life to say yes to. Henry Nowen, one of my favorite authors, probably said it way better than I could. This was a man who left a post teaching at Harvard. Harvard to spend the rest of his life caring for mentally, physically, and handicapped children. He said this. He said, I realize that I cannot fight the demons of business directly. How can I cannot continuously say no to this and no to that unless there is something 10 times more attractive to choose? The hope is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all my energies to saying yes. Is there in your life and my life that one supreme overriding thing that anchors us to say, I'm saying yes to that, which enables me to say, nope, nope. Later, nope, nope, later, nope, nope, later. You know what else, you guys? You know what's so powerful about this? It's a word play here. Luke Luke actually uses the word to serve twice in this text, twice. And the word is diakonia, from which you get the word deacon, literally, to serve. And Luke's whole point is, Luke's whole point is, they're both serving. What? what are you? No, no, no. They're both serving. But at the core of Martha's serving is busyness, activity, and doing. At the core of Mary's serving is personal relationship. You know how I get this? Martha says, Jesus, tell her to help me. What is she saying? She's going, I don't want to serve you by myself. Tell Mary to serve you too. And Jesus' answer is, Martha, she is serving me. She is serving me. Jesus looks at her devotion to him. Devotion to him and says, that's just as much of a service as what you're doing. I don't even have time to unpack this today. But I just need you to sit on that for a moment. Now, here's the thing. I don't think no, it's just my personal opinion, no scholarly whatever. But you know, I think part of what Jesus meant when he says, She's serving me. Jesus knows that within literally a matter of short time, he's going to be crucified. And Jesus literally at this house and going, Martha, I don't need a seven-course meal. I just need you to be with my f- me. Just going, I need the companionship of my friends and the intimacy of the closest to me more than a seven-course meal. You guys, is God speaking to any of you this morning? What? What? You know what's funny? We're going to get to this. If somebody would stop Martha and go, Martha, who are you doing this for? What would she have said? Martha would have said what? Jesus. You know what's incredible to me is? I was a youth pastor for a while. I would see dads. I would see dads working 56, 78 hours, doing all kinds. Of, they're never home. Mom's never home. And the house is a mess. The home is a mess. And I would talk to the parents in the minister counseling. And the parents are like, dude, such ungrateful, blah, blah, blah. We're doing this for them. And the children are going, dad, I don't want you to do all that. I just want you to be with me. Who are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Verse 41. Listen what it says. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You know what I love? I love when Jesus Martha, Martha. It's what theologians call a double vocative, magnification. And when double vocative happens with the name, it it, 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 it describes intense emotion, intense feeling. For example, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem as he's about to die. And he goes, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, intense emotion. Jesus on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, intense emotion. So when Jesus says to Martha, 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 he is speaking out of deep love. He loves Martha. He loves Martha. She's precious to him. And so what Jesus says to Martha is out of deep, deep, compassionate love. As he counsels her, Martha, Martha, he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And the word troubled? Get this word picture, man. Imagine a ship, a capsized ship in the middle of an ocean, in the middle of nowhere, being tossed back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus goes, that's you, Martha. Now, here's the thing. Martha's, those of us, Martha's type of people, you look from the outside and go, man, they're totally in charge. They're leader type. They're initiators. They're getting things done. They're telling other people what to do. Couldn't be further from the truth. Martha's? They're not under control. They are completely being controlled by someone else. They're completely under the control of what in her life are non-negotiables. And the problem with Martha is have like 30 non-negotiables. So she's going from this being swept along this. And we're going, wow, look at that Martha, the leader type. She's in charge. Oh, no, no. She's being tossed here, being tossed there, being tossed here, being tossed here. Martha, where's your anchor? I don't have an anchor. Being tossed here, being tossed there. Why don't you sit? No, I'm tossed here and tossed there, tossed here. And if you were to ask Martha, Martha, why are you doing this? Who are you doing it for? They would probably say, you know, I ask the same questions to myself in the quietness of my heart. When I'm alone in my room and I get enough of a still voice, I ask, what am I doing this for? Who am I doing this for? Problem with Martha is don't want that voice to be heard. So I'm going to be busy, 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 busy. Busy, 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 busy. Martha being tossed back and forth. No anchor. She has no spiritual center. She's overworked, stressed out, heading down a path, heading down a path. Heading down a path that's going to end in destruction. Completely anchorless. It also says she was anxious, and I'm going to talk about this more next week, you guys. The word anxious here is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 when he says, don't worry or do not be anxious about many things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Martha is anxious about many things. Why? These many things are her non-negotiables. Her jobs are non negotiable her friendship non-negotiable, her relationships, her money, her security. She has all these non-negotiables in our lives. And here's the thing. The reason why we're anxious without these non-negotiables is because if anything happens to any of these non-negotiables, if anything happens and they get blown up, you have no center. You have no anchor. And Mary says, I got one non-negotiable. Everything's never going to get blown up. Guys, are you hearing me? I want to talk more about this next week. Worry, anxiety. You've got 30 non-negotiables, and you're going, if anything blows up in any of these non-negotiables, you don't have a center. Jesus says, Martha, one thing is necessary. She's been contrasted with Mary, Right? Jesus actually comes right out and says the difference between you and Mary. Mary needs only one thing. Literally saying there's only one non-negotiable in Mary's life. There's only one non-negotiable in Mary's life. I'm going to say it two more times. There's only one non-negotiable in Mary's life. There's only one non-negotiable in Mary's life. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus, one overriding non-negotiable, and it's Jesus. And Jesus says to Martha, you, by contrast, have all of these non-negotiables. You need all these things, and that's why you're constantly unhappy and constantly anxious. Because if any one of these non-negotiables were to blow up in your life, you have no center, you have no anchor. What are your non-negotiables? Jesus says to Mary and Martha. And then says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Or some of your translations say, she has chosen that which is better, which will not be taken away from her. Mary's being welcomed and Martha's being rebuked. Why? Jesus says, Mary has chosen that which is better. That which is better. Martha, you've let all that ministry, all that serving, squeeze out time. Squeeze out sacred space. Squeeze out Focus attention to me. You guys, if someone would have walked up to Martha and said, why are you doing all this? My guess is Martha would have said, I'm doing it for Jesus, right? Just like if I were to walk up to some of you today and go, why are you doing it? Oh, it's so busy. You would go, I'm doing it for Jesus. But Jesus knows better. You know better. I know better. Martha reveals her secret heart. She goes, Jesus, don't you care that? Uh, in other words, if she's really doing it for Jesus and the one that she's doing it for is saying, I don't need a seven course meal, do a two, three, I just want to spend time with you. She's going, I don't care what you think. I'm going to give you a seven course meal whether you like it. Wait, well, who are you doing this for? I'm doing it for you. No, you're not doing it for Jesus. You're doing it for who? You're doing it for Martha. Church family, I got to ask, who are you doing it for? Can you be honest this morning? Who are you doing it for? Here's a good indication that you might not be doing it for Jesus. Ready? Unanswered prayer. What are you talking about? Unanswered prayer. Martha's praying. So when Jesus, tell her to help me. Jesus goes, nah. Why? why listen to what martha's asking think about martha's saying jesus i have no center i have no contemplative center i have no discipline life i am overworked i'm totally stressed out and i'm ruining these relationships and doing all these things here's my prayer jesus will you help me i said this this morning as a handful of people just kind of smile, that kind of guilty smile. So this, you, you, this is you. Pots, pans, cake is burning. Your life is completely out of control. It, people think you're in control on the outside, but it's all out of control. There's no inner, head, in, inner peace, inner turmoil, doing all these things. Jesus is not the focus of your attention. He is not your priority. you got all these non-negotiables, and you're heading down a path of destruction, and literally you're going, Jesus, I need your help. Why would someone who loves you more than anything else say, that's good. Let me help you with that so you can go right along. Anybody sitting here this morning going, He not answering my prayer? It may be because it's not about Jesus. It may be about you. I want you to realize sometimes Jesus won't answer your prayer. Because he wants you in true prayer. He wants you in true prayer. Sometimes Jesus will say to you, I want the cakes to fall. I want the pots to boil. I will to say this lovingly. You ready? Sometimes Jesus says to you, I'm going to let the cakes fall. I'm going to let the pots boil. I'm going to let that meal be a mess. I'm going to let those things happen in your life. Why? Because I love you because right now you're making that activity your savior that ministry your savior that charity your savior that job your savior and i love you too much so no no are you just asking jesus to get on board with no 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 are you saying jesus let me ask you three questions and we're done why Are you so busy? Cece, you can come on up. Why are you so busy? The truth is, there is something unseen. Ah! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I felt this at 11 o'clock last week, and I'm feeling it again today. So I'm going to be like right here because I need you to hear me. Why are you so busy? Is there something underneath? Is there something underneath? Can you be honest, authentic, and real this morning with Jesus? Is there something underneath that is causing the business? And all of my years in ministry, this is literally what people have said. One, the reason why people are so busy, I've heard people say, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'll never make it in life. What is it? What is it? When you say, I'll never make it in life, what is it? Can you name it? Can you articulate it? Can you be honest this morning? What is it when you go, I'll never make it in life? Here's another thing people said. I, if I don't do as much as I can, I'm going to fall far behind. Behind who? Behind what? Behind who? Behind what? What is driving? Have you ever thought? Behind who? Behind what? Here's another one. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't be as successful. Ah! And I stood up there at the 9 o'clock service, stared straight at the group of Northwestern students who were sitting, and I said, how are you defining success? And they all were like, but I want to speak to you. How are you defining success? Some of you are being driven into the ground because you have a completely unbiblical version of success. And you can't stop. Who is defining success in your life for you? God? My coworkers. Your coworkers? My boss. Your boss? My peers? Your peers? Next one. If I want to do as much as I possibly can, oh, this is huge. I won't be as accepted or acceptable, and I want to go acceptable to who? Acceptable to who? Guys. To who? To what? Here's another one. If I do as much as I possibly can, I'll disappoint someone. And I know. I'm going to avoid looking at the Asians right now. I'm just going to look up here. I know. But some of us, it's mom. ah, oh, it's dad. Oh, it's parents, grandparents. Disappoint who? You guys, you're going to drive yourself into the ground, have no center being swept because you're afraid of disappointing. Who? I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. That person that you're afraid of disappointing can't save you when they're lying in that casket. Secondly, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't measure up. I mean, why are you so busy? Here's the second question I want to ask you. Has activity taken priority over people in your life? Has activity taken over priority over people in your life? The telltale sign for me and my wife, when this happened, there's tension in our marriage. There's tension, there's tension. We're just snippy at each other That's when I know, like, okay, okay. Activity is taking over priority. I mean, I've said this all the only thing that's gonna last for eternity is relationships. For eternity in relationships. Think about that. So God creates us for eternity. The only thing that lasts, eternity is relationships. Are you irritable? Are you irritable? Why are you guys laughing? Somebody irritable? Are you irritable? Oh, you were so honest. She goes, Yeah, I'm irritable right here. She's like, I'm irritable. Are you irritable? Do you know why we get irritable, Marthas? Because people just get in the way of what we think ought to be done. And that's just a barrier to what we get. We get irritable because people aren't just as smart and competent. We get irritable because, well, people are just not cooperating with what I need to do. Dads, we get irritable because we're sending our kids going, don't you know I'm doing all this for you? And the kid, if he had the guts and courage, would say to you, I would rather have you spend 10 minutes of quality time with me and work 80 hours so you could provide what for my family? Some of y'all grew up in households where that was the case, and you vowed you would never do that again, and you are heading down the same path. How is that possible? I'm glad towards the end of the service, we're finally getting real. Are you irritable? Can I just tell you something? Nobody wants to be around an irritable dad. Nobody wants to be around an irritable girlfriend or boyfriend. Nobody wants to be around busy dads. Nobody wants to be around busy pastors. Ouch. Third, how's your prayer life? You know the difference between Mary and Martha is? Martha's, your prayer life? I need you to do these things for me. I got to have you come and fill my na 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 things. Mary, 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 the only thing she's after. Jesus, Did you ever just go to pray just to be in His presence? Do you ever go to pray just to adoration pray? Do you ever just go to pray and go? I don't have a list of things to do. I don't. I don't need to ask you stuff. I just. Don't have a list. I just want to be here with you. Martha's. I got stuff to do. I got. Projects and schoolwork and work and relationships and all this. Jesus, I need you, and Jesus goes, "Because I love you, I." How can I answer that? How is your prayer life? Is your prayer life? Do you have? Do you have a prayer life? Is your prayer life one of adoration, adoration, adoration? Is your prayer life one of? endless list endless list endless list I said this this morning I appreciate you guys sitting here this morning while I preach to myself and I hope that you got something out of it There is so much to do, it seems like. There is just not enough time in a day. There is, There are a million things that are just rushing at you and rushing at you and rushing at you. Classes to teach and classes to take and work to be done. And friends to meet with and calls to make and... My dear brother and sister, are you just being swept along like a rudderless ship? Tossed by the waves from one thing to another? Racked with anxiety because the thing that is the non-negotiable in your life might get blown up? Come on, will you let the voice of Jesus, voice of the Holy Spirit, just speak to you this morning, speak into you this morning? Will you just let him do that? Will you let the sweet voice, gentle voice of the Holy Spirit, perhaps say to some of you, Martha, Martha, there's so many things that you feel are necessary. There's only one that's needed. Only one. Needed. He is all that you need. He is all that you. Need. Father, this morning, I pray for that brother or that sister who's saying, I have a completely undisciplined life. I pray for that brother or sister that's saying, honestly, I have no contemplative center. I pray for that brother or sister that's saying, I am completely overworked and completely overwhelmed. And I pray for that brother or sister that has enough awareness to say, I'm heading down a path of life that's eventually going to end in destruction. That they would have the courage and the faith to stop praying, Lord, help me with this. But that they would have the courage and the awareness, God, just even in this week, to stand firm in the midst of that current stand firm in the midst of the million things rushing at them for their attention tomorrow morning that they would commit be anchored be disciplined set aside focused attentive time with the only non-negotiable that will never leave us or forsake us or disappoint us pray that for my heart, and I pray that for my family, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen.